Very often when people are lonely, they're also alone inside, which means they're abandoning themselves on the inner level. Because when we're not taking loving care of ourselves, there's that aloneness, there's that emptiness. And from that place, we cannot connect with others. So we're going to be both alone inside and we're going to be lonely with others. They first need to learn to love themselves and then they will find. They will find that they can make friends. They will find people to connect to. They will find ways to not be lonely. But you, you can't really heal loneliness without first healing aloneness. Hello, my friends. This is Nishant and welcome to another episode of the Nishant Girl Show. My mission is to help people get in touch with their emotions and feelings, connect to themselves and being a source of healing. My job on the show is to invite the world-class experts to deconstruct the practices, routines and habits to help you live a fulfilled and abundant life. I have a request for you this time. If you have been listening to this podcast for some time and if you find it useful, please help me in spreading the word about this little show by telling one person among your friends and family and that would mean the world to me. And my today's guest is Dr. Margaret Paul. Dr. Margaret is a best-selling author, popular mind-body green writer and co-creator of the powerful inner bonding, self-healing process and the related self-quest, self-healing online program recommended by actress Lindsay Wagner and singer Alanis Morissette. Dr. Paul is the co-author author of several best-selling books including Do I Have to Give Up Me to Be Loved by You, Inner Bonding, Healing Your Aloneness and many other books. Dr. Paul's books have been distributed around the world and have been translated into 11 languages. Dr. Margaret holds a PhD in psychology and is a relationship expert. She has appeared on many radio and TV shows, including The Oprah Show. She has successfully worked with thousands of individuals, couples, and business relationships, and taught classes and seminars since 1967. And now, please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Dr. Margaret Paul. Dr. Margaret, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for taking your time to speak with us on this day of Valentine's Day. So I want to tell all the listeners that we are recording this podcast on February 14th. What a day to talk about love, healing, and relationships. So Dr. Margaret, I thought I will start with one of the questions that I did not know I will ask you. So before we hit record, I saw that there is a painting in your background and that painting has a word called little cowgirl. What does that mean? Tell well, us a back um, story about that little cowgirl. Little cowgirl. Oh, uh, oh no, that that's a photograph. That's a photograph of me as a little girl because I was always into horses. <laughs> you were into horses. Oh, yeah. I always loved horses. How did you develop this passion of horses? Oh, it just, I was born with it. I just always, always loved horses. I still love horses. I love riding. I just love horses. And it's always been that way. Where were you born? Well, I was born on a farm in upstate New York, but... My parents moved me to Los Angeles when I was 13 months old. So uh, I got taken away from the farm, which I loved even as a baby. But fortunately, when I was a child, we lived in Los Angeles above Griffith Park, and I got to go take riding lessons all the time when I was young. Do you still ride horses? I do. If someone like me has never ridden horses, what would be the first few basic steps? Well, you'd have to go to a stable and get some lessons. To, you know, you need to learn horse. <laughs> Horses communicate. Horses are very tuned in, very emotional animals. And there's ways of communicating with them. There's ways of hearing them, listening to them. They bond very deeply once they trust you. And so it's a matter of learning about them. It's a matter if you really wanted to learn to ride, which is wonderful, you need to go to a stable and, and take some lessons. 
Have you learned some specific lessons from riding horses that may have helped you in your personal life? You know, I, I think everything that I've done has helped me in my personal life. The horses were really important to me because I had a pretty rough childhood and horses know how to love. And so the fact that I got to spend time with them and and share that love with them was very, very important to me. They They knew when I was a child, I had the experience of sharing love with them more than with my parents. So I I learned that, that level of love. I, I had learned it when I was very young because when I was on the farm, my father's father, my paternal grandfather would come and be with me every day. And he also was a very loving man. And I was able to share love with him and able to experience what it was like to truly share love. But then we left and I never saw him again, which was a very big tragedy in my life. Actually, I almost died because I couldn't connect with my parents. I could connect with him and not with them. And so it took me until I was about 10 to remember him, but then I did. And, uh, and today I'm very connected with him on a spiritual level, but the horses enabled me to feel that, that same kind of sharing of love and to know that it was possible. Even though I was an only child, there wasn't anybody else in my family who could share love like that. So they were really important to me. What do you mean by when you say that connecting to him at a spiritual level? Well, I've I've worked for many years to develop what I call at-will divine connection. And it's my experience that we don't die, that our souls are in spirit and I can access him, and he he's with me. And in fact, in the evening, I play word games with one of my friends, and when I first started to do it, I, I was very bad at it. I could hardly even see three-letter words. But as I started to play the games, suddenly seven, eight-letter words started popping into my mind, and I realized that my grandfather was playing word games with me. He loved crossword puzzles, and which I learned from my father. And so now I can, the words come up, the letters come up. I can't see the word, but the word pops into my mind and it's him playing word games with me. So he gives me the word. And then even though I don't know if the letters are there, I'll spell out the word because he's, he's given it to me. It's just, it's amazing. It's so much fun. And, and he just, He's with me. I can feel his love. I can feel his guidance. And it's a it's a wonderful way to live life. Could you share any word with us that you may have discovered recently, which would be attached to you in a good way? Any word that you may have discovered through this game recently that is very close to you? Oh, the words, the words aren't, I mean, they're just words like an, in a crossword puzzle. It's not, there's no words that, that matter to me. The words that, that matter to me are not necessarily a part of the game. The words that matter to me have to do with love, with compassion, with openness to learning, with, with the sharing of love, with connection with each other, with a sense of oneness with each other. Those are the words that are important to me. For how many decades have you been doing the work in the areas of relationships and healing and spiritual growth? I've been working in this area for 53 years, a very long wow. time. Yeah, a very long time. I, I trained as a traditional psychotherapist. I practiced for 17 years, traditional psychotherapy. And I was not happy with the results of that. I wasn't happy with my own therapy that I had had, a ton of my own therapy. And that's when I started to pray for a process that would really work. And that's when I met the co-creator of the inner bonding process that I teach, Dr. Erica Chopich. She had half the process. I had half the process. And Spirit kind of downloaded the six steps of inner bonding to us. And that was 37 years ago. And that's what I've been offering and teaching since then it's such a powerful process so much for healing. us to go deeper into inner bonding but before we get there i would like 
for you to tell us about all your books in brief. You have written so many books. Could you describe in brief what they are and who can benefit from your books? Yeah. So one of my first books, which actually sold over a million copies is Do I Have to Give Up Me to Be Loved by You? And that's an excellent book for relationships. And then we wrote a workbook for that. And we also wrote a book for parenting. Do I Have to Give Up Me to Be Loved by My Kids? And and then came Healing Your Aloneness. And this was the first one on inner bonding that Dr. Chopich and I wrote together. We didn't yet have the six steps in place, but it's a really great book on really starting to understand what it means to love yourself. And, and then it came uh, a book that I wrote called Inner Bonding, and then a workbook, Healing Your Aloneness. And then, oh, before that, there was also a book. Let's see, I can't remember the order. No, no. Then I wrote a book called Do I Have to Give Up Me to Be Loved by God, which does go deeply into the inner bonding process. And and then came a Diet for Divine Connection, which describes basically the two secrets to being able to have at will divine connection. Goes deeply into inner bonding and also goes deeply into how we need to take care of our body in order to have our body in a high enough frequency to access our divine guidance. And then came the inner bonding workbook, which really teaches people the whole process. And then recently is uh, Six Steps to Total Healing. And and then in April will be How to Become Strong Enough to Love. <laughs> I'm wondering where should I go? Which direction should I go into? So you mentioned about having two secrets for the divine connection. Can right. you describe that, please? Yeah. So one of the things that I've always wanted is I realized when I was young, because of some experiences that I had, even though my parents were atheists and I had no spiritual upbringing, but I realized because of some experiences that I had that we were not our body. And I really wanted that divine connection. I didn't, I had no idea how to have it. I, I was a sickly child and in, in my early twenties, I started to read about health and I started to eat all clean organic food, not, no junk food, no sugar, all clean organic food. That was a long time ago. And so I got healthier but I still couldn't have the connection. And then when inner bonding came in, the basis of the inner bonding process is a concept of intention and that there's only two intentions. And one is the intention to protect against pain with various forms of controlling behavior, addictions, anger, blame, people pleasing, giving ourselves up. The other intention is the intention to learn to love oneself and share your love with others. So as I learned to open to learning about loving myself, that's when I started to be able to spontaneously have that spiritual connection. I started receiving a lot of information. So I thought that it was about intention. And I started working with my clients and helping them to open to learning, but they did not have the experience I had. And I finally connected the dots and realized that it's both things. It's about the frequency of your body and the frequency of your mind. And so we need both. The secrets are both the intention to learn about love, starting with loving yourself and loving yourself enough to eat clean, healthy food. Because if you're eating, you know, there's so much junk around. If you're eating sugar and processed foods and factory farm foods, foods with hormones and pesticides and all that, your body can't handle that. It's really tough on the body. And you know that causes illness. It lowers the frequency and makes it very hard to hear the higher frequency of our higher guidance. So I go deeply into that in the book, Diet for Divine Connection. The first part of it is about how we eat. I don't recommend a particular diet. It can be whatever philosophy anybody wants. It just has to be clean, natural, organic food. And then the second half is going into the inner bonding process and what it really means to open to learning and take responsibility for yourself, for your own feelings, for your well-being, for filling yourself up with love so that you have love to share. What, what happens with so many people, so many of us, like me, I was brought up to think that my sense of worth and, and safety was in getting love. 
And so, so many people, they enter a relationship to try and get love. But when you're not loving yourself, you're, you're, there's an emptiness inside. And so you, you want somebody else to fill that up. And, and we meet at our common level of self-love or self-abandonment. When we're not loving ourselves, we're abandoning ourselves. We're, we're judging ourselves. We're turning to addictions. We're numbing out our feelings. We're ignoring our feelings. And then we're making other people responsible for our happiness or our pain. And that's called a codependent relationship. And so two people get together and they're making each other responsible. And then they try and control each other to get the other person to give them what they're not giving themselves. And that's a disaster. And so in order to create a loving relationship, you first have to create one with yourself. You've got to learn how to connect with your higher guidance, how to fill yourself with love, how to take responsibility for your feelings. And then you go into a relationship to share your love rather than to get love. And that makes all the difference. And I want to add one more thing to this point. How I got to know you. So I want to tell the listeners that I got to know about you from one of your blogs. And the blog name is Why Do You Want to Be in a Relationship? And in that blog, you say that when two people come together because they want to learn together, grow together, heal together, share their time and companionship and share their love and passion, then they have a good chance of creating a lasting and loving relationship. Right. So why... And we all want to be in a relationship. And this blog talks about the why. Could you share that with us? Before we get into a relationship, we get to be clear on the why we want to be in a relationship. Can you please share that? Yes. So in the inner bonding process, we talk about various aspects of ourselves. And one of them is what we call the ego wounded self. And the ego wounded self is actually housed in the lower left part of the brain where the fight or flight mechanism is. And that's where all of our false beliefs are. So most of us have grown up learning to operate out of that place uh, that just wants to control. We want to control in order to feel safe. And so that part of us wants to get into a relationship in order to get approval, get attention, get love, get validation, get sex, get whatever it is we think is going to make us okay. Now that intention doesn't work. That's what creates the problems in relationships. When we're operating out of what we call the loving adult, which is in our higher brain, not our lower brain, then we want to get into a relationship to, to share love, to share companionship, to, to learn, to evolve in our ability to love, to, to grow, to have fun, to play with each other, to have each other's backs. It's a completely different intention. We're not going into it to get. We're going into it to learn, to grow, to share with each other. And so anytime we're in the intention to get love or to get attention or to get something that we think is going to make us okay, then that ego wounded <laughs> part of us is in charge. Then how should someone be aware that they are attracting relationship from a wounded place or from a loving adult place? Well, it depends on what they're wanting. I, you know, a lot of people go into a relationship saying, oh, this person will complete me. This person will make me safe. This person will let me know that I'm okay. So if you have any of those agendas, you're operating out of your wounded self. So one thing is awareness. Once they are aware that they are operating from wounded self, then what can they do to break that pattern? Well, that's what the inner bonding process is about. It's a, it's a practice. The six steps of inner bonding retrain your brain. They move you out of your lower left brain into your higher brain. They develop your loving adult self capable of connecting to a higher source of love and truth, capable of defining your own worth capable of filling yourself up with love, but it's a practice. It doesn't just happen. You don't just change your mind. And then all of a sudden you're capable of, of loving yourself and filling yourself with love and sharing your love. It's a practice. So the six steps of inner bonding are a practice that will lead people out of their ego wounded self, their false beliefs into their loving adult. Can we go deeper into this six-step process? 
Yes. So I can, I can go over it. Obviously what I'll be telling you is brief. People would actually have to go into the process to understand the power. But the first step of inner bonding is that you have to be willing to get present in your body with your feelings. For many of us, when we were growing up, we were either told that it's not okay to feel, we shouldn't feel, or we were responsible for other people's feelings, but we shouldn't have our own. We had a lot of pain. Many of us had a lot of pain and we learned to disconnect, dissociate from our body and go up in our head because then we, that's how we learn to handle pain is to disconnect from it. Now, in order to learn to take responsibility for your own self and your own feelings, you've got to go back into your body. So step one is learning to get present in your body. Now, this took me quite a while because I was trained to be a caretaker. I was trained to be very tuned in to other people, but my feelings didn't matter at all. And so I was completely out of touch with my own feelings. I was always tuned in to how can I make everybody else? And then maybe they would take care of me, but of course they never did. Well, what and, did you do to break out of this pattern? Well, I had, I had to, I had to practice. I, I, I wore a little gadget called a motivator, which would buzz against my body. I wore rubber bands. I had sticky notes around. I did all sorts of things to remind me. I couldn't remember to get in my body because I'd been spending my whole life in my head. And so I had to keep reminding myself to get inside my body and to want responsibility for my feelings. Most people don't want any responsibility. Look at our society, all the medications people take to, to numb out their anxiety or their depression. They don't realize that these feelings are giving them very important information. Anxiety and depression almost always indicate some form of self-abandonment that we're not loving ourselves. And so then you want to numb that out. You're abandoning yourself even more. You know, it's like if you, if you have an actual child who you're ignoring or punishing, abusing in some way, telling them they're not good enough, which people do to themselves all the time, that child might be very anxious or depressed. And so we do that to ourselves. And so step one is being willing to be with your feelings and want responsibility for them. Step two is moving into your heart and consciously opening to learning and learning how to open to that higher source of love and invite love and compassion and, and strength and wisdom into your heart because we don't manufacture love and compassion. We invite it in. It's, it's, it's gifts of spirit. Is, and there so, a, is there a concrete practice for this step number two? Yeah, it's the step two of inner bonding. It's breathing into your heart. It's consciously opening, making a decision. We have free will. We can decide our intention. And it's it's learning to open, imagine. Like I ask people to imagine an older, wiser part of themselves. Like imagine yourself like 500 years from now, an older, wiser part of you. And just invite, say, I invite your love and compassion your strength and wisdom into my heart with time, you'll start to feel that. And that's what creates what we call the loving adult. And then in step three, we're doing a dialogue process. We're going inside as the loving adult and we're saying to the part of us that say anxious or depressed or angry or guilty or, 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 or shamed or, or jealous or empty or alone or all these difficult feelings that people have. And we're asking what am I doing? How am I treating you? Like, like you're talking to an inner child. Imagine the feeling part of you. That's your soul, the feeling part of you as an inner child. And you're saying, what am I telling you? How am I treating you? What am I doing or not doing? That's making you feel this way. So let's say you go inside and you're feeling depressed or you're feeling empty inside. And you're saying, what am I doing? That's making you feel this way. And then you breathe inside to, let's say, the emptiness. And, the, and, and you let the answer come from inside. And that empty place might say, you, you don't even know I exist in here. You, you, don't, you don't listen to me. You don't take care of me. You ignore me. You, you bring no love inside. You know, of course I'm empty. You're not, you're not bringing love to me. You're not loving me at all. You're putting pressure on me. You're, you're telling me I've got to be perfect. You're telling me I have to do things right. So I feel depressed. I feel empty. I feel anxious. 
And it's, it's because of how we're treating ourselves. So in step three, we're learning about how we're treating ourselves that are causing these feelings. And then we go a little deeper into that ego wounded part, because that's the part that's treating us badly. That's the part that's operating from false beliefs. And we say to that part of us, which is usually young, like five or six, where we learned how to how to treat ourselves badly, we, we all absorb the wounded parts of our parents or other caregivers. So how they treated us and how they treated themselves is now how we treat ourselves from that wounded part. And so we ask that part, well, why are you putting all this pressure? Why are you judging us as not being good enough? Why are you saying we have to be perfect? And that's where we discover the false beliefs. And that part might say, well, you know, if I'm not perfect, I'm going to get punished or I'm going to get rejection. I'm going to get rejected. Or if I'm perfect, then I can control how people feel about me. I can control getting love. And these are all major false beliefs that people have. And so once we discover how we're treating ourselves and what the beliefs are regarding why we're treating ourselves this way, then we go to step four. And in step four, we're going back to our higher self and we're asking two questions. What is the truth about any of the false beliefs? For example, is it true that if I'm perfect, then I can control how people feel about me? Well, that's a complete lie. We have no control over how people feel about us. And there is no such thing as perfect. And everybody has a different idea of perfect. And so these are, you know, so if we were to open and say, is it true that I can control how people feel about me? If we're really open, we're going to hear, no, nobody can control how you feel about them. And what makes you think that you can control how they feel about you? And so we start to tune into the fact that we're operating out of lies. And the other question we ask is, what's loving to me right now? What do I need to do differently right now? So, for example, if you're feeling anxious because you're putting all kinds of pressure on yourself and telling yourself you better not make a mistake and, and you're not allowed to fail, what would be loving right now would, and this I, I tell myself all the time, is I'm going to love you even if you fall on your face, even if you make a fool out of yourself, even if you make mistakes, even if you fail, I love you for who you are, not for what you do, not for your performance, not for doing everything right. So that would be a loving action that I would take at that moment. And once I take the action, that step five is taking a loving action based on that guidance. And then step six is tuning back in. So if I'm feeling anxious because I put all this pressure on myself to do everything right, and then I take the pressure off and I say, you, you just get to be yourself. You don't have to do everything right. It's okay to make a mistake. I'm going to feel relief inside. The pressure will be off and I will feel a sense of relief. And the relief lets me know that I've taken a loving action on my own behalf. So very briefly, those are the six steps of inner bonding. They're very logical. They're exactly what a loving parent would do with a child. Like a child's upset, the parent would say, oh, honey, come tell me, you know, what you're upset about. Are you upset with me? You know, and, and would really want to know, would really want to inquire. And then the parent, when I had my first child, I, when I was the only child, I didn't know how to take care of kids. I didn't know what kids needed. And so I naturally, without realizing it, would just say, oh, what does my son need? What does he need right now? And ideas would pop into my mind. I didn't realize that they were coming from a higher source, but ideas would pop into my mind. I mean, if I, if I fed him and I changed his diaper and I rocked him and he was still crying, I needed some other, you know, ideas. And when I said, well, what? What else can I do? I was open to learning. I wanted to know because I wanted to love him and ideas would come. And so then, of course, I would take the action. And then, of course, he would feel relief. And that let me know I'd taken a loving action. It's the same thing on the inner level. Thank you for sharing. And I want to ask you, in what year did you create this process, six-step process of inner bonding? It was 30... 37 years ago, it was, I think, 1984, 1985. It was around there. 
And what is what were the motivating factors in your life at that time that were leading up to creating this process? And how did you meet your co-creator? Yeah, so we met through a mutual friend, and it was like we recognized each other immediately. You know, I, there's kind of soul recognition, and we each had half the process. But what motivated me is I was not happy. You know, I was I was in a long marriage. I had three kids. I had everything you think you would want. I was not happy, and I was very sick. I had gotten sick again. I had gotten better when I started eating well, and then I was very sick, and in fact, life threateningly sick. And Would you mind sharing some of the details about your sickness? I, I, you know, I went to doctors and they just said, your immune system is shutting down. That was your immune system is shutting down. You're headed for like cancer or something. I just, my body wasn't functioning well from the time I, well, so when I started practicing inner bonding and, and, and one day I had a, an anger process with my inner child where I let my inner child get mad at me for how I was treating myself. And, and my inner child said, you know, you, you're so loving with everybody else, but you don't even know I'm here. You don't listen to me. You don't listen to anything I say to you. I'm, I'm invisible to you. Just like I was invisible to mom and dad. You treat me just like they did. How sick do I have to make you before you take care of me? That was... <laughs> that was a light bulb moment. How sick do I have to make you? So at that point, I knew that I needed to start to learn to love myself. And it was it was very, very challenging because having learned to be a caretaker, I was taking care of my husband, my parents, my kids, my clients, and I was just getting more and more and more depleted and sick. And so I, I had to make I had to make two life-changing decisions. And one was I was willing to be hurt because everything I was doing was so nobody would hurt me. I had to be willing to be hurt. And second, I had to be willing to lose everybody who said they loved me rather than continue to lose myself. Because I knew if I continued to do what I was doing, I would die. And I was really scared. I was scared that the people that said they loved me really didn't. They just loved how I took care of them. Well, it was, it was the most challenging part of my life because when you've been taking care of people and putting yourself aside and, and being there for them and not for yourself, they like it. And so when I stopped caretaking my husband, I wasn't mean or anything. I just wasn't caretaking him. He, he was furious. And so I lost my 30-year marriage. My, two of my three children were very angry with me. My parents disowned me. So it was a really hard time in my life, but I got my health back very quickly. I was no longer getting depleted. My work started to expand, started to soar. And the people, this is how you know who cares about you. The people who love me supported me in taking loving care of myself. And so it was, it was very life-changing for me. Everything changed for me. But I have to tell you, it was probably the first time in my life that I felt joy, even though all the bad stuff was happening. I felt now, joy. When you, when you talk to your inner child, how does that conversation and dialogue look like and feel like? Would you mind sharing that with us? Well, I go every morning, I go out for a walk. I like to do my inner bonding work outside in nature and I live in nature. So that's really nice. And I, I start out with some prayer and then I say inside, how are you doing, honey? And now today, since I've been doing this for so long, my inner child says, great. <laughs> so if everything's fine, then I go right up to my higher self and say, what would you like to tell me? And I, I just open and allow information to download. And, but before I really was taking loving care of myself, the conversations were more like the one with the anger. My little girl I said, you didn't speak up for me. You let somebody put me down. You said yes to something that I didn't want to do. You didn't check in with me about what I wanted. You just decided and, and went ahead and, and I'm not happy with what you decided. You need to check in with me. You need to know what I feel, what I want. So those were the conversations back then. If 
If someone is listening to this podcast and they might be thinking that they may have tried all the possible things to love themselves and have self-love, but still they might experience some feelings of unworthiness and inadequacy. So how can they work towards working on becoming worthy and have some self-love enough to feel worthy? Well, lots of times people think that self-love is, they'll say, oh yeah, you know, I'll, I eat well and, and I, I take baths and I get my nails done and that's what they, and that's fine. That's on the physical level, but we're talking about the emotional, spiritual level. So what needs to happen is that people need to learn who they are in their true soul self. We, we each come in as a magnificent individual spark of the divine. We each have the most beautiful soul. And that's what we call the inner child who often communicates through feelings. But most of us were not seen by our parents or caregivers. So we don't know our soul. And we think we're the wounded part of us. We think they're the wounded self. And the wounded self says, you're not good enough. You'll never be good enough. That kind of thing. A lot of self-judgment. But the wounded self doesn't know about the soul. When the wounded self is judging us, it's judging itself because it doesn't know who we are in our soul. And in order to know who we are, we need to connect with our higher guidance and we need to be able to see ourselves through the eyes of love and truth. And so one of the exercises I often give people is I say, I want you to imagine that you're in a beautiful place in nature. And you're there, you're, like, you're sitting at a picnic table with your older, wiser self. And playing right nearby is you as a little kid, like two years old, three years old. And I want you to ask your higher self, who loves you and adores you, to show you some of the beautiful qualities of who you really are before your wounded self took over. And so invariably, people will say, oh, I was, I was happy and I was playful and I was loving and I was caring and I cared about people and I was creative and all kinds of things they'll come up with about who they really are. And then I say, well, is there anything about who you really are that is not worthy or lovable? And they'll say, well, no. And I'll say, well, is there anything about that that essence of who you are that doesn't deserve your love. Well, no, you see. But if they've not learned to operate as a loving adult, that, that's not what they're focused on. They're not operating as an adult taking care of their beautiful essence. They're operating as a five, six, ten-year-old adolescent wounded part of themselves who believes they're not good enough, they're unworthy, they're inadequate. And they need to have control over getting other people's approval to be okay. So again, it takes practice to learn to define our own worth. When I was, before I started interbonding, I had tons of different kinds of therapy. I still felt inadequate. I felt insecure. I felt scared. I felt anxious. I felt unworthy, not good enough because I was making other people responsible for defining my own worth. Once I start practicing inner bonding and learning to connect with a higher source of love and truth, I learn to see and value and define who I really am, my own deep worth. And our, our worth doesn't come from other people. It doesn't come from performance. It doesn't come from making money. It doesn't come from having a nice house or a car. It comes from how we treat ourselves emotionally and spiritually. So if you're judging yourself, if you're ignoring your feelings, if you're numbing out with addictions, if you're handing your inner child over to other people to define, then you're abandoning yourself. And self-abandonment creates low self-worth. And so as you learn to love yourself, you're going to naturally start to feel worthy and lovable and capable. When you work with different kinds of clients, what challenges and resistance do you get to see from them to love themselves? Yeah, so <laughs> there's a lot of resistance because 
most of us have been practicing being our wounded self, trying to control. We want control. And it's really a matter of priority. Is trying to have control over getting love and avoiding pain your highest priority? Or is doing what I think we came to the planet to do, which is evolve in our ability to love and to manifest the gifts we've been given? Is that your highest priority? So it's like for me one day early in my inner bonding process, I said to my higher guidance, why am I on the planet? And my guidance said, you are here to evolve in your ability to love and to manifest the gifts we've given you. Well, that made sense to me. And at that point, I shifted my intention from trying to have control over getting love and approval to evolving my ability to love. And so it's a matter of priority. But most of the people I work with, well, all the people I work with, they start out operating from their wounded self. And they haven't shifted into wanting to love. The wounded self doesn't want you to shift. The wounded self is very addicted to control. We'll do so many things to control your feelings, to control other people, to try and control the outcome of things, and doesn't want to give that up. And the wounded self thinks that the only reason you've survived is because it's kept you safe. I mean, in reality, it's you're alive in spite of that, not because of that but it's really devoted to having control over feeling safe. And it doesn't realize that the true safety is in being tuned in to a higher source because that source has a much broader view. I mean, that source has kept me alive. I've, I've had two really difficult near situations where I almost died, but my higher guidance kept me safe. So my safety I know is in staying connected to my higher guidance, but Yes, we run into resistance all the time. People just don't want to, they're afraid to give up the control. They're afraid of what's going to happen in their lives if they give up what they think. They don't actually have the control, but they think they do. And they're afraid to give it up. And so it takes <laughs> most people time to, to, to let go of that and to start to trust their higher guidance. When I first started doing this, I didn't trust my guidance at all. I had never been in contact with that. And of course, I trusted my mind, my lower mind, (laughs) more than my higher self. And so it took me, I did a lot of, I did a lot of testing. In other words, I would think that I heard something from my guidance. At the beginning, I couldn't even be sure. I thought I was just making it up, but I would hear something. And then so I would say, okay, I'm going to do what I think I'm hearing and see what happens. Or I'm not going to do what I think I'm hearing and see what happens. And over and over. When I did what I thought I was hearing, things came out way better than if I didn't do what I thought I was hearing. So I had to test it over and over and over again until I finally learned to trust that higher voice. We all have it. We all have it's natural to us. We all have that higher voice. In fact, our upper right brain is natural. It's a natural part of us in our upper right brain to access that higher self. But we're in a very left brain society. And so most of us operate from our lower left brain and our upper left brain, the actions, the upper left brain is the action oriented part of us. The, so when that's informed by the lower left brain, we take action based on our wounded self. But when we learn to access our higher self, then our actions are based on our connection with our spiritual guidance. And those actions are completely different. And, you know, if just look around the world, most of the actions in the world are coming from the ego wounded self to control. I mean, all the problems in the world are about the lower left brain, the controlling wounded self being in charge and just wanting to be in control of everything. I'm curious to ask you, Dr. Margaret, why are you so passionate about the work of relationships? Well, this is where we can do our deepest learning. It, our, our deepest fears, which are usually the fear of rejection and the fear of engulfment, the fear of losing ourselves, the fear of losing the other. These are very deep fears that we got as we were growing up. They don't get worked out when we're alone. They get worked out in a relationship. And so if we're going to become whole, if we're going to become loving and secure, we're going to do it within important relationships in our lives. And we all want this. I mean, we all, we're, we're hardwired to connect with each other. 
We, we want to connect. We want the joy of connection. And of course, many people want to have families. And it's only when we learn to create that inner relationship with our inner child, our loving adult, and our higher self, that flow of the inner relationship, that we're going to be able to have loving relationships with others and be loving parents. And this is essential right now for our planet. We, we, we need to do this. We need to become loving adults. And we're going to learn to do that mostly through our relationships. Then what is the balance between loving ourselves and loving others? Because when we love ourselves too much, we might become narcissistic. Could you... Okay, so that's a false belief. Whatever is truly loving to us is also loving to others. The loving adult is not only concerned with taking care of us, it's also concerned with the effect our behavior has on others. It's not, oh, I'm just going to take care of me and I don't care about you. That's not a loving adult. A loving adult cares about my highest good and the highest good of all. That's part of who the loving adult is. So a loving adult is never selfish. The selfish part of us is that ego wounded self who just says, oh, well, you know, if I want this, then I don't care who I walk over. I don't care who I use. I don't care who I hurt. That's not a loving adult. That's a selfish, self-centered, narcissistic, wounded part of us. The loving adult is what we're needing on the planet because the loving adult knows we are all one. And we cannot hurt others without hurting ourselves. And so we never do become self-centered, selfish, and narcissistic when we're operating as a loving adult connected with our higher guidance. And if someone feels a block to receive love from others, how can we unblock that flow of receiving love from others? It's one thing to love ourselves, and receiving love from others is can be challenging. It used to be challenging for me, but now I'm getting better at it. Yeah, well, the fear of receiving love. See, the wounded self may often be afraid of receiving love because you might have some beliefs around it. You might have a belief that, oh, if I take in love, I'm going to owe them something or they're going to control me or in some way I'm going to lose myself. So I can't risk taking in love because of these fears and false beliefs, but it means that the wounded self is in charge. The love, when you're really operating out of your heart and the loving adult is in charge and you're connected with your guidance, you realize that the circle of love, the giving and receiving love is one of the most wonder, uh, for my experience, the most wonderful experience in life. But receiving love is just as loving as sharing love. I mean, you can't share love if you're not open to receiving it. It's a circle between two people or more than two people. And so if you're afraid of receiving love, you need to realize you're operating out of the fears and the false beliefs of your wounded self who says, oh, I'm going to lose myself. It's usually a fear of engulfment. I'm going to be controlled. I'm going to get hurt. That's what stops people from receiving love. And when you're operating out of that, you might think you're giving love, but you're not. Because if you're operating out of the wounded self, the wounded self is, the wounded self thinks that that it, taking care of others, caretaking is giving love. I thought that for years because I was a caretaker. I thought I was so loving, but it's not loving. It's controlling. When we're, when we're caretaking others, we, we have expectations of what we're going to get back. Real love has no agenda. It's unconditional. It has no expectations. And so again, the, the wound itself has all these fears of giving and receiving love, but that's not true when we're operating out of a loving adult state. And uh, what is your new book about? The new book on six steps to total healing? I yeah, so uh, yeah, that that book is actually it's a it's from one of my weekend workshops. And so it goes through the six steps, but there's so many examples of people doing work with me, asking me questions, clarifying the concept. People are loving this book. It hasn't been out very long, but I'm getting very very good feedback from people about how helpful it is to them in their inner bonding process. And then the next book, which will be out in April, How to Become Strong Enough to Love, that's a book on relationships and goes into a lot of examples 
about different codependent relationships, different ways that people try and control themselves and how it would look if they were actually open to learning with each other. What does it mean to be emotionally strong in the context of relationships? It means that we're not afraid to love and be loved. It means that we're not afraid to be hurt. It means that we're operating out of, out of a lot as a loving adult in connection with our higher source of strength and wisdom. And that we're, we're not protecting, we're not controlling, we're not avoiding. We're, we're, we're completely open to the sharing of love. And if somebody, you know, is angry or mean, we know how to take care of that. We know how to show up for ourselves. We know how to take care of our own feelings. We have the strength and the wisdom to take care of our own feelings. We're not emotionally dependent. We're emotionally free. You have lived a long life, Dr. Margaret. So I'm yes. wondering if you could share any love story from your life that comes to your mind. Well, I, I don't know how to pick a story because I share love with many, many people. At this point, I have a best friend, that's Dr. Erica Chopich, who's the co-creator. Right now, I live as a golden girl, and we share a home, and we just have a great time. We, we play, and we support each other, and we share love. I'm very fortunate right now that I'm close to my 14-year-old granddaughter, and we share a lot of love. So I, I don't know exactly what you mean by a love story to me. It's just about who I can share love with. I have some other very good friends that I can share love with. I can often share love with my middle son and his wife. So, I mean, to me, it's just about who's open to sharing love with me. I love a story in terms of in a romantic relationship. Well, I mean, I, you know, my major relationship was with my husband in my 30-year marriage. But it didn't end up being such a great love story. I mean, I fell madly in love with him. We fell madly in love. Oh yeah, we were madly in love, and and I and I loved him very much, but our wounded selves took over pretty quickly, and we had we did not have an easy marriage. So it, you know, it, it it's hard to say that that was a love story. It was at the beginning, but it did not turn out that way. If someone is having a hard time in their relationships or in their marriage, what steps they can do? besides reading your book? They can learn and practice inner bonding. I mean, they, they, they need to learn how to take responsibility for their own feelings. That's the basic thing. They need to learn to take responsibility for their own feelings rather than making their partner responsible, rather than blaming their partner, rather than getting angry, rather than being needy and pulling on their partner. They, they need to become strong enough to love. They need to take responsibility for their own feelings. And that's what the inner bonding process teaches them to do. How did you coin this term, inner bonding? It could be external bonding. It could be any other bonding. Why inner bonding? Well, like, you know, like I said, Dr. Erica, the co-creator, she and I came up with it because we're talking about bonding with ourselves. We're talking about bonding with our, our essence. We're talking about bonding with our guidance. And so it's a process of inner bonding before we can really bond with others. If Erika Chopik is listening to this podcast, what would you tell her or say to her? About what? <laughs> I'm not anything, clear anything, anything that comes to your mind. What I would say to her is how deeply grateful I am to her. I, I wouldn't be doing this. I wouldn't know about inner bonding. She is my inner bonding buddy. She's the person I go to when I get stuck. She's brilliant and intuitive, and she is able to tap into. She's one that helped me access my higher guidance. I don't know that I ever would without her in my life. She's an amazing human being. And I, I would just say, I'm so, I do say this all the time. I'm so grateful for you in my life. When I was reading about you, I read that you are able to access spiritual guidance during your sessions with clients, and you are working with your clients over the phone. So how do you access? Well, no, I'm, I'm usually working, well, some over the phone, but most of the time over Skype or Zoom. Yes, I do. So when I sit down with the client, I set my intention. My intention is to be a channel of love and, and support 
to bring through whatever it is they they need. And and so I, I just open. And what happens is I get a tremendous amount of information about them. What comes through from both my guidance and their guidance is what they need. And so it's a it's a fabulous way to work because I mean, I learned a long time ago that my mind doesn't know much, but my higher guidance knows everything. And so when I sit down to work with somebody, I don't even have to think. <laughs> I open and it just all comes through and they get helped. And they Can get we say helped. that? Can we say that my inner guidance and my higher guidance is talking to a higher guidance right now? Well, I'm not actually working with you. So if I was working with you, yes, I would be tapping into your higher guidance, but I would... I would go into, you know, somewhat about your past, how you got your wounded self from, you know, what <laughs> happened when you were growing up, how you got the fears and false beliefs. And out of that, I would start to tap into what your guidance and my guidance would like me to say to you to help you. Maybe we can do another podcast on that live demo. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Margaret, who has been your inspiration in this lifetime? Who inspires you the most? Oh, I have to say that is Dr. Erica Chopich and my higher guidance. Earlier in my life, I was very inspired. I had a couple of mentors. One was a man named Dr. Bill Offman. He, I, I took his classes at USC and he was very helpful. And then another was Jim Bugenthal. He was a, a therapist. He's not alive, but he was very, very powerful in helping me to, to understand what it really means to be open to learning and what healing really is. And <laughs> is there anything else you want to share with us? Anything we could have explored and didn't get a chance to explore? You know, I just, I want people to know that there's so much information on our website at innerbonding.com. We have a free course they can take to get the overview of inner bonding. I have so many courses that they can learn. Anybody can learn. What I want people to know is anybody can learn this process if they want to. That it's, you know, like anything worth learning, like playing tennis or playing the piano, it takes practice. But if you really want your life to improve in all ways, whether it's your health, whether it's your relationships, whether it's your parenting, whether it's your ability to manifest your dreams, this will happen as you learn and practice inner bonding, and anybody can learn it if they want to. Do you have any advice or recommendation to someone who feels lonely and may not have had healthy relationships in their life? Very often when people are lonely, they're also alone inside, which means they're abandoning themselves on the inner level. Because when we're not taking loving care of ourselves, there's that aloneness, there's that emptiness. And from that place, we cannot connect with others. So we're going to be both alone inside and we're going to be lonely with others. They first need to learn to love themselves. And then they will find, they will find that they can make friends. They will find people to connect to. They will find ways to not be lonely. But you, you can't really heal loneliness without first healing aloneness. Which and is I want to emphasize this because I, I lived my whole life just feeling lonely, not feeling worthy. And when I started to work on myself, I started to loving myself, things started to change. Right. Then now I don't go out to get love. I go there to share my love because when right. I'm sharing my love, and when others are sharing their love, it's a process to get love. Getting love is an automatic process. We don't right. have to go there and be needy to receive yeah, love. That's right. That's right. That's great. Thank you for this amazing conversation, Dr. Margaret. And before we wrap up, I want to end this conversation. Not end this conversation. I will say conclude this conversation by one of your quotes that I really love. Unless you love yourself and fill yourself with love, you cannot share love with another when you abandon yourself, you create an empty hole inside that looks right. for a relationship in order to get filled externally. So Dr. Right. Margaret, thank you so much. And uh, before we forget, where can people find you online? Yeah, so innerbonding.com. Innerbonding.com. We will put all the details in the show notes. And uh, yes, people can 
go and learn about you, get your books, and have a healthy relationship. That's right. And if they sign up for our weekly newsletter or they sign up for the free inner bonding course, then they'll be notified of other things that are that are coming up. And uh, yes, thank you for your time. I had so much fun with you, Dr. Margaret. Well, thank you so much. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you. And you too. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode today. If you did enjoy this, please subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or you can visit https colon slash slash nishangarg.me n-i-s-h-a-n-t-g-a-r-g dot me. You can also share this episode with your loved ones to help them live a fulfilled life. You are not alone in this journey. We all struggle in life. There is no shame in talking about it. I go through my highs and lows. I get depressed and these practices help me in living a resilient life. You can also do this. You've got this. Don't judge yourself. You are doing the best you can. And thank you so much again. Okay.